Welcome to the Due Diligence Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft. And for more than 10 years with SNN, I've been doing interviews with microcap management teams at investor conferences globally, as well as online. Our SNN Live CEO video interviews are meant to pique interest, and then one can discover more by going to that company website. But personally, I always have more questions I want to ask. On this show, I'll be chatting with public company executives from microcap companies, and we'll dive deeper into companies that are rarely profiled. Microcap traditionally is overlooked, unloved, and absolutely never featured on legacy financial media outlets unless something material is going on that's a good story. With my experience interviewing management teams, having interviewed most of them before, I've built up a network of companies, so there will be no shortage of content. Furthermore, this is an opportunity for me to showcase some of the qualitative lessons I've learned from guests on the Planet Microcap podcast. You can expect high quality interviews with management teams that may have exposure to broader macro trends that you may never have thought of. One of the many reasons why I love the microcap space. So if you love microcaps and especially love learning about companies before the professionals do, let's start our due diligence. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party product services or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast. My guest on the show today is Brian Balberni, CEO of Issuer Direct Corporation. It's a publicly traded company. The symbol is ISDR on the NYSE American. Issuer Direct is a leading communications and compliance company providing solutions for both public relations and investor relations professionals. Their comprehensive solutions are used by thousands of customers from emerging startups to multi-billion dollar global brands, ensuring their most important moments are reaching the right audiences via their industry-leading newswire, IR website solutions, events technology, and compliance solutions. For full disclosure, we're a customer of Issuer Directs, using their events, software, and webcast solutions for our investor conferences, as well as publishing press releases through the AccessWire platform. I've known Brian for pretty much my entire career working in microcaps and would consider him both a friend and colleague and have always admired how he's gone about building and running Issuer Direct over the years. We've done a couple interviews over the years, but thought it was time for us to geek out on the media and news business, as well as discuss Issuer Direct's just announced acquisition of Newswire and what the biggest acquisition in the company's history means for them moving forward. The ins and outs of the press release and news distribution business and industry, lessons learned from mistakes made, and what inspired the founding of Issuer Direct and Brian's vision for the company in three to five years. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Brian Balberni, CEO of Issuer Direct Corporation. Brian, thank you for joining me today. How are you doing? Good, man. Bobby, thank you so much. I love love doing this stuff with you, and this is fun, and it's good for a Friday afternoon. That's awesome. Thank you. Hey, it's not bad for a Friday afternoon after the day after announcing the biggest acquisition in the company's history either. We're recording this on November 4th, you know, just 2022 for reference. So not, not bad. Not bad time. It, 
is very good time and coincidental, actually, right? Sometimes you don't know when a deal is going to close, right? And we've been working hard on this one for for a couple of months, and uh, this is truly a, a a not only an accretive but a but a transformational deal for us. It gives us an opportunity to scale thousands of additional customers, new products, uh, great revenue streams, reoccurring nature of revenue streams, really good people, which is I think the most important part of this, right? Is finding good people that know and understand the industry, understand how to service and love a customer. Mm-hmm. And, and how to generate good revenues with, with wonderful, reoccurring, profitable business. For sure. And we're going to dig into that in a second. But for those that, you know, let, let's just give people a quick picture of Issue Direct first before mm-hmm. we get into to, yep. to the acquisition. So, you know, I ask everybody on here, can you give us that one line that best describes Issue Direct? Yeah, it's it's really easy. We, we are the public company company. We help public companies comply and communicate with the markets, shareholders, interested parties, investors, uh, exchanges. Uh, we provide all of the technologies in order to make their messages come to life. Very good. All right. The public company company. That's good, man. I, listen, we've known each other forever. I've never heard yeah. the public company company. That's, that's good. Yeah. Um, so as as we've been alluding to, you know, the company announced this acquisition yesterday. Uh, it's an acquisition of Newswire. Um, yes. You know, it's it's funny because, look, we like I said, we've known each other forever. I think... Yep. When the company announced back, I think what was it, the end of 2018, when you raised when you did the raise, I think everybody and their mother was like, All right, when are they doing the big one? When's it coming? Yeah. This is it, right? This is the big one. Uh, Yeah, you know, and it it is um, although yesterday's announcement was exciting for us, it also gives me an opportunity to breathe a sigh of relief that yes, finally we were able to use the capital raise back then. Look, I think it's fair. At that period of time, we were looking at two or three deals, and it was always about, do you have the ability to do these deals? We don't know that we want to sign up and go dance with you if you're not ready. And so we made the decision at that point to go raise the capital to prove to these individuals and these companies that we had the bandwidth and the powder to do it. And sometimes, you know, the cart before the horse, it depends. We got caught in a situation that those deals didn't work out. And and look, I tell you, from today, those companies have not done well. So in hindsight, it's the best thing for us. We've walked away from five deals since that time. And and so we are very patient. We are very committed to doing the right transaction for our shareholders, for our customers and ourselves. So um, sometimes good things take time. <laughs> Absolutely. And you alluded yeah. to a little bit as to why Newswire make really was a nice fit for the company right now yeah. to do this deal at this moment. So can you tell us a little bit more about what you're acquiring and how it adds to everything that Issue Direct does? Yeah, you know, and it's it's funny because we say Assure Direct because that's who we are, right? ISDR is a symbol, we're the public company, and we have a wonderful brand called AccessWire. Um, 80% of our customers today use AccessWire um, and our communications tools, right? So we really, truly are an IRPR communication shop. That's what we are. We build tools and technologies to help these public companies and private companies comply with the markets and communicate. And some of them as a byproduct use our Edgar services and some of the other corporate compliance things that we've got. But at the end of the day, as a strategy, we've always said since we raised this capital, we've got to find additional products to get us out of just this IR focus and down the hall to PR. If we can get down the hall to PR, you get CorpCom, you get you get communications. There's so much more there for us to talk about and the budgets open up greatly. So media database, analytics, social at some point, were critical components, newswire.com and that family of, of assets as all of those tools. 
Absolutely. So this is another question I have for you because I mean, clearly yeah. this, is the, this is the biggest, I mean, of course I got, I got a lot more questions for you. That was silly, but um, <laughs> clear, clearly this is the biggest acquisition for the company from yeah. a size yeah. perspective, but from a narrative perspective, would you for say, sure. and, and time will tell obviously, you know, as, as things go on, but what would you say has been the most impactful acquisition for issue direct in, in, in your career? Yeah, that's, that's tough. We've done some really, really good deals. They've, they've all returned the capital in less time than we believed, with the exception of one. Um, I think the one that stands out has to be Access Fire. I was going to say. Right? Yeah. It, it, it really does. I mean, I think you ask any of our shareholders, they 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 almost like us are excited like kids. They jump up and down when they talk about Access Fire. They understand clearly what that market is and what the sustained gross margins are and the scale of that that business. So it has to be that one. I mean, and that's not to discredit any of the other businesses we bought. They've done really well and we still operate each one of those customers and that segment and, and a lot, almost all the employees are still with us today. So that's that's a remarkable thing. But yeah, what transformed the business is absolutely our, our brand access fire. Very good. All right, we're going to come back to that in a second because I want yep. to dig. I want to dig into that in the press release industry mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. because that's clear. At least in my opinion, it seems like that's clearly the direction that you guys are now fully compounding on is on the communication side, using mm-hmm. the Access Wire brand to kind of push that out there. So that's right for for folks to that aren't aware of the full suite of issue direct products mm-hmm. and services. Can you just quickly lay out all of them so they get a better understanding of what your customers are buying? Yeah, it's it, people purchase our products in individual form or subscription forms all together. And so let, let's take a public company, for example, a public company has to submit their financials quarterly to the SEC. And that would include even registration statements or, or ownership statements. They have to issue securities, right to their shareholders, whether it's an offering that they're doing, or there's dividend processing that needs to be done. And they need to hold annual meetings. This is the compliance part of the business. Those those three core products, along with our whistleblower solution that is uh, available through the New York Stock Exchange, um, is our compliance part of our business. That's where we started. We were the compliance guys. Um, we knew that business well. We, we operate that business well today. Um, but our communication sets where the scale is. And that really compounds with uh, AccessWire, um, our events and webcasting business, more specifically quarterly earnings calls. That's where the focus is for us now there is we, we want to be known as in some ways in the IR world, think about the three W's. It's the wire, it's the webcasting, and it's the website. And so that IR website component along with our newsrooms is the other piece of what our communications business is. Um, and, and, and that be told, that sounds great, right? And, and Bobby, you know me in the sense that, so what? but you're still missing a whole bunch more, right? And that's what we had to figure out. And that's what this journey has been for us is how do we go find database analytics and all these other wonderful things that customers want and spend money on? And, and I'm not talking spend a couple thousand. They spend five to $10,000 more a year. And, and that's within our sweet spot today. So we theoretically, if we move our products successfully into all of our customers paying for subscriptions today, we'll double our subscription revenues on our customer basis. That is the transformational part of this deal. Absolutely. So let's get into the press release industry a little bit as mm-hmm. well, because I think some, yep. I mean, I remember when I first started looking at the press release, just industry as a whole and like starting to put out press release and for full disclosure, you know, we use access wire for press releases. We also use you guys for, uh, for events, the event software and, and webcasting mm-hmm. as well. Just, you know, we've got to make sure, you know, compliance, Bob, I got to put that out there. Thank you. That's yeah. right. Um, but I, what I'm really getting to is this is the moat around the press release industry and why it's not so easy. Even with Reg FD out there saying where companies can technically 
as long as they disclose whether on their website saying, hey, we put out our news just on our Mm -hmm. websites, just on social Mm -hmm. media, they're technically Reg FD compliant. But yet, you know, there's still the press release industry and the idea of the press release industry and potentially this moat around it. So can you explain a little bit more about what just how the industry works, the moat around it and why? Yeah, you can do this with Reg FD, but why folks are still using press releases? Yeah, it's the same analogy that when somebody says, hey, I saw your press release, always ask them where. And and 80 percent of these people say Yahoo Finance. Right. They don't say Twitter or they don't say TikTok or, or, or something else on a social platform, or they don't say their corporate website or an alert. Um, the reality is that all of us are still conditioned to go to the media to get news, whether written by a, a, a company or written by the New York Times or somebody else that's a writer or publisher there. Um, they still are gravitated towards what companies utilize as a press release which is a communication piece of information that's transmitted through a secure platform to Bloomberg, to the Associated Press, to all the brokerage terminals and all the news outlets around the world. That, that's a trusted custody of information. And, and providers, disseminators trust that custody of information. And so to think about social media as a, a dismantling of FD in some ways, to your point, Bobby, right? In other words, SEC published this back in the day when Reed Hastings argued from, from, from Netflix that, you know, you, you can do another way. And they said, no, you can't. He won. Good for him, right? And the whole news industry really stopped and said, oh, no, this is going to be the end, right? And at that point, PR Newswire and, and BusinessWire were the two most predominant news agencies around the world and accounted for 80% of the news flow in the market. And Today, the news has continued to grow by quantity since then, not decrease like everybody thought. So for us, uh, getting into this business was never about thinking that the news business was going to grow in double digit, meaning the industry. Us, yes, because it needs to. Um, but the industry, it wouldn't. What we did understand clearly is there, the, the, the news outlet, Twitter, any other social media platform, as well as direct message delivery, right, that push notification to an interested group of people, whether it's text or email, is just a medium, right? And you have to put all the mediums together in a good corporate communication strategy. PR represents one, right? It is our predominant one today, and it will always continue to be, but you have to have an answer for the rest. So AccessWire builds all these other components that you can plug in your social media to it. You can plug in your email databases to it, uh, whether internal or external. You can automatically push it to your newsroom immediately, share it via LinkedIn immediately. So when you provide your customers that, that's your defendability about what true fair disclosure is rather than just using a newswire. Absolutely. All right. So it, tell us a little, uh, digging into the industry a little bit more, you know, because I, mm-hmm. I, I I, mean, I've sat in on a number of your presentations where I think one of the mm-hmm. most popular questions is, hey, what's what's AccessWire's market penetration compared to some of the, you know, the big boys out there? You know, it's clearly yeah. in the top five, right? Because we've got PR Newswire, Globe. Um, gosh, they all changed their name so many times. I'm still like, I was about to say market wired for a second. Um, yeah, that's <laughs> but, right. But where, where does access wire fit in amongst, you know, all the, all the players right now? It's, it's funny when you say that because you, your exact comment is like everybody else. It's like, I currently use market wired globe. I don't notify, I don't know what their name is. And, and look, in fairness, they're a good group of people. I know a bunch of people that work over there that they have a good product platform, right? It's called notified. Notified is the second largest. PR Newswire, a decision family, is still the largest newswire globally. Um, we talked to your direct question, Bobby. We talked two years ago publicly about getting to 3 to 5% of the market. 
and I know for folks that, you know, it may seem underwhelming in fairness. Somebody says, wow, you can get to three to five percent of a market penetration. Good for you. Can you get to 20 percent? Because then you're material. But the reality is, is the industry doesn't create newswires every day. If there was, I mean, you're talking 100 years since PR Newswire has been around. And then a couple of years later, Businesswire came about and then the others followed. And, and since then, there's been nothing else because it is extremely difficult to get into this business, to build distribution and have that chain of custody and trust to be that, you know, newswire that every agency talks about. So, look, for us, we were on track to get to 5% by the end of next year. That was the, the kind of the guidance that we provided. The newswire transaction got us there. So by the end of this year, we're going to be at our 5%. So for us now, it's not let's get to 6. It's how do we get to 10? And, and that's the most important thing. Sadly for Business Wire, they continue to drop in market share. They're now the third largest, and we're the fourth, to answer your question. You know, there's likely one or two others in North America that, that are around in the industry that account for about a half, 1% of the market. But, but by vast majority, the three largest really account for the bulk of the news. And, and every day, good for us and not for them, but we take customer share from each one of them every single day. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as you just mentioned, you know, now that we got to, you know, hope hopefully get to the five or, you know, whatever you announce it, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then the next, the next goal is that 10%. What's the mm-hmm. strategy to get there? Um, so before I talk about the strategy to get there, I'm going to tell you the reasons why for the deal and how we get there. Right. Cause I think they tie together. When, right, right. when, when our sales team goes into an account, a prospect, and they talk to them about our communications platform, um, customers are very intrigued by the user interface, the ease of how to develop a news story and publish it and how to build a newsroom and everything else. And then the natural question is, where's your media database and analytics products? And I'm currently using Cision today, or I'm currently using Meltwater, I'm currently using Muckrack, or now Propel, because he's that, that, that Josh and those guys have done, or Zach and those guys rather have done a good job. And, you know, unfortunately, we don't have it. So 75% of the prospects that we build relationships with do never engage us because we don't have a full suite. Right. So so that's been the impediment for growth. It slowed our growth down because of it. Now that we have the makings of the majority of what we just talked about, we're going to be able to put, put ourselves at a seat at the table longer. Not to say we're going to sell everyone because we're not. Right. But we're going to have a bigger opportunity to grow quicker. So so that 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 comment directly bolts into what the strategy is, is to flip the business on its head and take database analytics, newsroom. Uh, newswire and bundle them up in a very easy to use MRR product where customers come in, subscribe and go, right? Get the number of media personalities they want, right? Buy credits, get it. The analytic alerts that they need to drive, you know, defendability to their PR and IR folks that they've got folks interested, plug in their investor database, have a campaign manager right there and the ability to run up to a certain amount of press releases, whatever they want for a given year. And they just pay one flat rate. Um, That's what the market wants. That's what I want. It's just easy. Right. And and look at the end of six months, if I don't want it anymore, turn it off. Be done. Right. If you don't have any value, we don't want to we don't want to shackle a customer. Right. You want to provide good value for a good fair price and deliver beyond their expectations. If they're not getting it, let them go. Right. Let them go do something else. And and, and our customer numbers will speak for themselves when it comes to how we love them and what we do. So that that's going to be the strategy of how we get there. And and look, I tell you, if you go back and look at the, the some of the content we put out over the last 24 hours. Newswire in their history has done work with over 20,000 customers, right? That's impressive because the news industry is a little trend, you know, transient. They come and they go. That's what it is. But they've got 3,500 stable customers, just like we do, right? We've got 3,000 plus stable customers. So uh, they're proving that business, right? And for us, 
to continue our subscription model and keep pushing that is exactly where we're headed. That will get us to 10% and say two and a half more years. Absolutely. So I want to dig into the media analytics side, you know, that, mm-hmm. that portion, because I, yeah. that, that clearly was kind of, you know, like you just said, you know, you had the 75%, they're like, Hey, we want this. And mm-hmm. you guys didn't have it. Now you guys have, you know, what about that component of the offering? And you mm-hmm. kind of alluded to it already, but what, what about that one component is so important to those IR and PR professionals that hopefully now they'll then, you know, for your sake, you know, you know, for all your potential shareholders here, you know, yeah. why they'll then turn, you know, convert some of those customers and because you have that. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I call it mentions is what it should be. The product shouldn't be called analytics. It should just be mentioned reporting, right? As a PR exec, even an IR exec, right? IR firms too. You have to have defendability to your client. And, and, and if you're an external practitioner, I say your client, but when you're internal PR or corp comp, your client's the CEO or CFO or somebody you're reporting to or the CMO that you've got to prove that the budget you're, you have to tell your company's story is getting the eyeballs and the audience that you need. So this mentioning system is what I really refer to it as is that I build out my campaign, right? And this is one of the things that Newswire does well with their media advantage plan is they determine quickly the keywords, the execs, the product offering names, everything that they can. And they build a system that's scouring the internet like crazy every single second of the day, looking, looking for those mentions. So did a journalist or a publisher or a blogger or a social media person tag, say, or do something that the company needs? So and if I'm the PR exec, I can then look at a report and said, you know, I ran a press release yesterday. I had 3,700 people click and engage it. I had 1,800 people share or exchange content about the things that I care about most. And now here are who these people are. So I built an audience, right? There's the value to that. And eventually what that turns into is earned media, right? That's the other side of this that that becomes very powerful because we as companies, right, public or private, we're fighting for eyeballs all the time, right? And if I write a content piece and I put it out there in a blog or I put it out there on, on, you know, Fortune or whatever, um, I'm going to get a certain amount of engagement. But if I've got a Wall Street Journal reporter coming to me saying, hey, I'm covering a story in this sector, and you said a couple of few things in your last article, I want to interview and talk about it. That earned media component is worth tenfold. And in some companies, that that earned media piece and that publicity could be worth six figures to them because it would take them that much spend to go get that much of an audience to, to learn about their business. So that's where that mention analytics system really becomes important. And also that much more work for the PR professional too, let's be real, right? You know, I, I've talked to a few PR professionals that are extremely good at what they do. And they're, you know, they've always, they, they've, they've always had mixed feelings sometimes. Well, they, they, some do local PR, some do more national. And like they, they've come, they've always had, mixed reviews when it comes to putting out a press release because on one hand they're like yeah press release yeah it gets the news out there gets that you know that mm-hmm. kind of followership you know but it all depends on what service you're using and then the type of media database that they have and where you can push that out to but then on the other side of the token it's like hey but you also have to do your job and push it out to your contact list and yes. and engage that way you know so it sounds like this is kind of a tool for those that may not have built out that side of their own PR business so that they can mm-hmm report back to their clients say, hey, look, it's getting to all of these certain places because you're utilizing technology in a different way. That, that's right. And it, and it ties to a media database too, right? You, you can get mention reporting and you can get engagement. You get to see who the person is and engaged, but then you need to know more about them. So those two products go hand in hand because then once you once you open up that, that profile, that individual that engaged, you get them to see all the content that they've written because we're pulling all that in from the community as well. So that you see if they're writing copy on somebody else in your industry, so you get competitive intel, right? 
So that goes down the hall to the CMO because they want that kind of data. So it really just becomes a mushrooming effect. And that's the whole idea is let's get sticky because then it, the displacement factor is, is really hard. And that's what we want to build value against. Right. And, and at the end of the day, it's building the tech to enable them to also experiment with the type of messaging that they want to put out there to a media yes. database, right? Because yep. a lot of these, I, I get I get these emails. I mean, my, my inbox is flooded with it on a daily basis, right? Mm-hmm. Of, you know, uh, people pitching me on whatever interviews for here whatever. or whatever, yep. you know? So it's just a matter of just enabling them to do that. And so mm-hmm. it sounds like previously there's some stuff that they could do that, or if they just paid a lot more money through like Cision or some of your competitors, they could do it that way. They, they could. And look, and some of them will be fair to them because of budgets. They'll just do a Google alert, right? And and that's that's like, hey, that I, in my mind, when I hear one of my sales team members say, that's what the customers are doing, I'm like, that's great. That's the kind of client you want because they've identified it's important, right? And they don't have budget, so they figured out what the cheapest, easiest way to do it is. It's not the best, obviously. And so now you have a built-in member of the community that automatically values this data. Now they just need a tool and a platform to do it right with tech. So 100%. Absolutely. By the way, this is much different than some of the other interviews that I've done. Because like I said, I've known you forever. We've used the products. So I apologize if I'm getting in the weeds a little bit, but this (laughs) happens to be kind of... It's kind of happens to be my bag a little bit. Um, you're, you're geeking out, huh? That's what you're doing. You know, yeah. listen, this is what happens when me and you get together is we just end That's up right. geeking out on this stuff quite often. Yeah. But, you know, uh, let, let's also talk about your background. I mean, you're obviously founder, CEO of this business. You started, what was it, 2003, right? Yeah, the idea came about 2004. We, we started building the product in 2005 and we went to market 2006. Yeah. Wow. So what were you doing prior? And then where, what gave you the inspiration to go on this journey to where you're at today? Yeah, you know, look, it, it's I tell people this in short form and I'll, I'll definitely unpack it because I, I think it's important to tell the, the whole story. Sometimes out of something bad comes something good, right? And and that's the reality for a lot of things in life, right? Good or bad, that's what it is. I, I actually moved to North Carolina for a small public company that became the chief operating officer for that uh, a group of, of investors I knew put money into a deal, um, thought that the technology was worth something. They wanted to find a CEO. They raised a bunch of money. They found a CEO. I got them compliant because that's my background. We raised a little bit of capital. The CEO swelled the business to 250, 300 people with just a couple few million dollars in revenue, jumped the revenue to, I don't know, call it 12 or $15 million, raised more money and split down with the cash. And, and that's a sobering thing. Right. Because you brought your network of people in, you hired people that you knew and they trusted you, had no money to pay them. Right. Money was gone. The last dollars that were invested was part of my network so that I've damaged my professional credibility as well. Um, You know, look, the long story short is we were able to get back everybody's money. We were able to put the technology in the hands of the employees to, to settle those claims. And it set me down a path to make sure that this didn't happen to anybody else. So I started a company called Catapult Consulting. It was a Sarbanes-Oxley consulting business. And that was right around the time that Sarbanes was coming about. And it really was about making sure that officers and directors and board members, everybody alike that was involved in this fiduciary responsibility to protect the balance sheet, the assets, and the shareholder, and run the business correctly with rules and regs from SOX. So um, I built that practice. And, and look, it was rewarding. And I think as much as we generated a significant amount of revenue, we had dozens of c- consultants in the field doing it. Um, it was like therapy to me, right? It got my mind back to what mattered most. 
and then became the architecting and ideas of what Fisher Direct became. We built out the plan on paper, built out the strategy over a period of a couple months. A good friend of mine introduced me, one of his classmates at Duke, that they went to MBA school together. And next thing I know, the next day I'm in business with this guy I barely know. <laughs> it was great. I was like a teenager all over again. I was having a ball. We were working 18 hour days, building tech. We both had a tech background. We both had a good business head and we went and had fun. And, and the reality was, is that Jim was looking for something else different in life. And so after a year, he went his own way and, and I stayed the path in this. And, and it's been probably the most rewarding business I've ever been involved with in my entire life. Very cool. All right. That's, yeah. that's great. By, by the way, you do on the, on the issue direct website, I invite everybody to go check out the our story link because it actually gives a great little timeline of, you know, when the company was founded, you got to update it now, you know, it's only, the time I know you got to update a little bit. Um, <laughs> you know, Another question I have for you, you know, like you said, the company's been acquisitive, right? That's been mm -hmm. one of the strategies for growth is growth through acquisition, yep. finding value, creative opportunities out there, you know, to play devil's advocate here so that we're not just doing a full, uh, you know, kiss ass session here and congratulatory yeah. situation. You know, if you had to look back, you know, what would you say? Would you say there was any missteps or any acquisitions that you made that you're like, mm, I don't know, in hindsight, I don't know, or how the deals were structured? Lo love to hear your thoughts there. Um, missteps? Yes. A hundred percent. It's a great question. I mean, look, nobody's perfect, man. Right. It's like, you know, look, and you're fortunate enough to have a wonderful family. You have two young kids now. It, it's like having a family. There's no book for it. Right. You, you don't wake up every day because the kid is crying a certain way. You know exactly what it is. You don't go to page 56 to know what to do. Right. It's that instinct that you, you, you become better at it every day. And, and, Starting a business in an industry like this is exactly that. You're going to make mistakes, right? You know, we've done bad deals. We've done good deals from customers. We, we've thought we bought good tech and we didn't. I'll tell you one. This is, you know, look, I'll poke fun at myself now because you asked, right? <laughs> when when uh, XBRL came about, we had this, what I thought at the time was a wonderful strategy to plug in all these, what they call taxonomies, right? I don't want to get into the technical term, but basically it's a bit of code that matches to a financial statement value and we're like well if we just bought some accounting software we could we could build it all together and our customers would use that they'll get rid of all their accounting systems and use our systems and we'll be able to run the world stupid just stupid right thankfully we didn't spend a lot of money a couple hundred thousand dollars and bought this guy's product and off we went And about six months later i'm like this is the dumbest thing i could have ever thought about doing so um like office space we took that out in the back and, and we burnt it <laughs> and we moved on so yeah, we make mistakes. You know, my job is to make sure that we minimize those and there's more good than bad. And, um, you know, I would never say that um, any acquisition we've done that's been bad, right? I think some of them have been more more um, delayed than not. And, and I'll give you a more recent example. We bought this product right around the time we raised that capital. We bought this webcasting solution because our webcasting product was a legacy product that needed to be redeveloped. So we bought some scale and a new product with a bunch of customers. And um, we thought that we was going to be one of the best things we could ever done and built a model out like you do in any company. You have to build some defendability to your board is that we're going to invest X amount of dollars and it has to repay itself in an X period of time. In order to, to have that, you have to run some analysis, right? There's going to be good and bad things that happen in the world, the markets, whatever. And at worst case, what will it do? The problem is, at worst case, it was times five, right? Because there was government contracts that were involved. And because we bought the business, we were a different entity. The government said, get lost, can't do business with you, right? 
you had companies like Dell that spent hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars that used us, decided to internalize everything without notice and move on. Next thing you know, we bought a business that was 30% down in revenue with all the same customers and employee, all the same employees and the infrastructure costs. You know what that means. Yep. So we were candidly in 2019 staring down the barrel of having ourselves just a really good webcast product, but with not what we thought we bought. But it's not the people weren't the problem. They're great people. And then COVID happened. Right? But, yeah. And and because of COVID, sadly, we accelerated the repayment on that deal because everybody went virtual. They need webcasts, right? Every, every bank were doing deal, not deal, roadshows, fireside chats, virtual, you know this, right? Virtual events and conferences. And our team were just running all the time. That's what they did, 18 hours a day, you know? And and so, again, like my original comment earlier, something, something bad, something good happens. And so... Um, that's a great example, but you know, look, hopefully we're getting better at this <laughs> and we're not going to have those mistakes, but Hey, look, we're human, right? Um, good news is we generate a ton of cash here. So we've got a little bit of cushion when you do make a mistake. Absolutely. Yeah. Let's, I mean, let's talk about that, you know, in terms of how you actually run the business from a corporate perspective, because on one hand, you know, uh, there's quite a few, I mean, in, in essence, you're a SaaS company in many respects, right? Um, yep. And that's kind of been one of the biggest pitfalls for a lot of these SaaS businesses is that, you know, it's just been growth, 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 you know, at, at yep. the expense of showing a profit or, you know, just being in, just even just break even, you know, there's all that's of them right. at a loss. So how did, how did you balance this wanting to grow the growth strategy while also making sure that the company was generating cash? Yeah, I mean, look, I think it comes from the people that run the business. You have to figure out what you want, right? What are you after? And and are you after this hockey stick kind of a, a boom of revenue growth that you get to what, what one would define as critical mass and, and penetration without a regard for fiscal responsibility, right? Let's be fair. Um, those models work. I'm not I'm not suggesting they don't, right? There there are hundreds or thousands of cases that those work. Um, we came at this from a different for a different angle. We want to build a fundamentally strong business from the ground up and everything we do has to be profitable. It has to make sense and it has to fit our, our ideal situation and what our outcomes need to be in the years to come. So yeah, everything we do is with a P&L responsibility of profitability, absolutely everything. And, and, you know, you teach that to people and they then become that natural at it. My entire sales organization, my operations team, they're always caring about that because we incent them, right? That's how they make more money and bonuses. So you get buy-off from everybody that is focused around generating your own free cash from operations and not depending on somebody else to fund your business. Now, look, for us, it's a stable business, good amount of cash, great profit, good history, but there's no hockey stick, right? So our shareholders understand that. They're playing the long game with us. They're not in any rush like us, and that's a good thing, right? But at some point, let's be fair, We've got to take this, you know, $23 million business that we've got. And now we added a bunch more to it. So we're like 36 million now and running on a performer basis. We got to get it to 50. We got to get it to 100. I understand that clearly, but we're not going to do it in an irresponsible way. We're going to do it continuing the same path that we have from generating cash and, and making money every quarter. That, that's fundamental to us first. Absolutely. So I also have to ask about a share structure question here mm -hmm. because I, I, you know, I, I think there's, I, I, if, if you just look at one bit, you know, especially even this morning, you know, the company, the stock's up, uh, what, like it's anywhere between five to 15% already on yep. less than 10,000 shares <laughs> traded, right? You know, yeah. um, 
was so i think what is there like three million in the float right if, if, as of today yeah. okay yeah yeah was that a conscious decision when you when you just put the structure together for the company because it's it's very not not a lot of not a lot of micro caps are structured that way so i'd love to hear your thoughts there it's what is the what is the correct way i could say it's bass backwards like i can say that <laughs> yeah right? we, yeah we're good there <laughs> we're good there right i mean everybody knows what i mean that that you're right let's be let's be blunt it's counterintuitive right if you if you analyzed any nyc nyc american listed company right like you know, I know. you see yeah. this on otc you don't see this on nyse listed company that's right. You 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 quickly find out that when you do an analysis of say two hundred fifty million market cap and lower, regardless of exchange, right? The companies that typically have the number of shares issued in standing like us end up being community banks or something like that, right? Which is a very different type of organization as a public company than we are. Um, I, we love our equity like gold. We don't want to give it up, right? We we don't. And and where we do, we do it the right way at the right times. And uh, so you know, look, that is a good thing. But to your point, let's be fair, it's also a bad thing as well, right? Because then the end result is like today, right? Is nothing can breathe. And at best case, you're, you're, you're 10,000 shares. Maybe we'll trade 15,000 shares today when it's all said and done, right? Who knows? Um, and, and that's probably twice the average daily value, right? And because we did a transaction, that's your, that's your liquidity. Not really liquidity, but here, here's what I would offer folks that are listening to this is that take the percentage of shares traded in a day or the average volume against the total issued outstanding and apply that percentage to a company that has 50 million shares or 100 million shares issued outstanding and look and see if the percentages of their average daily volume are the same, right? So in some ways, it is not much different. It's just psychologically, if companies only trade in a couple thousand shares a day, heck, I think, Bobby, I've seen some days that trade 400 shares, right? So here, here, is, here is the really good part of that, which sometimes is bad, is that I, like probably 15 other people, don't want to trade a share. They hold it. And and so when you add up those 15 people, it ends up being 85% of, of the company almost, right? So so that's an honorable thing. And, and that's what gives me the passion to do what I do and the rest of our team here because of that, right? And so that's a great thing. But look, it's my responsibility at some point is to drive additional eyeballs to this, to be able to everybody to free up a little bit at some point. And as the business scales, that volume thing takes care of itself. Right. And, and what you want to do is get it to 25,000 shares a day and beyond. Um, but you're going to have to have more than 3.7 million shares to do it. Right. Absolutely. So getting back to the business itself and, you know, look, you, you've been out there going to conferences over the years. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, been at my conferences, the whole bit. Yep. What, what would you say investors still get confused when they think about issue direct as, as a business? Um. I think in years past, right, and that, that's a fair question, is we have this or have had this these two parts of our business, right? We talk about compliance and communications. We have this growing communications business that is being desperately hampered by the declining compliance business. And 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 from an investment thesis perspective, folks will think about it as a curves crossing model, right? You've got one going up and then the other one going down. And at what point do they intersect before you start to see that the, the impacts where this can really take off? And so I think for, for probably two or three years and, and years past, call it, you know, 19, 18, 19 and 20, that was a big issue for us. Right. That the compliance business was 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 shrinking at the same or greater rate than the communications business was growing. So we had to unpack it quite a bit and start talking more about the communications business. When people started to see it, that's when the value drivers came off and people are like, well, let the compliance business go just operate it, but let's focus in on this. And that's exactly what we're doing. 
and and that's where we need to continue to do that. So um, that's been difficult for us. Um, I think the other part of it is candidly is our disclosures, right? I, again, talk about mistakes, right? I think that we agonize over the stupidest things and we need to become a lot more human about some of these things and open up a lot more to everybody, right? We talk about the average revenue per customer and people look at that and they say, well, wait, that grew to $7,700, whatever the number is, times the 30 some odd hundred customers. And they're like, wait a minute, that's not the revenue. And then you have to unpack it and say, well, no, those are just the subscribers, right? Those are the 971 customers that subscribe to the product. But there's still a couple thousand other people that buy other things, ones and twosies. And so that's when everything comes off and people are like, wait a minute, I'm confused now. So you're a tech company, you're a SaaS business, you're getting, you're not even getting multiple value for that, right? Or not. But the heck are the other people buying? So I think we need to do a better job telling people that and that would help, right? And again, that's something that we have to, we have to get better at. Absolutely. So, you know, going along the, not, not necessarily the mistakes, but kind of looking ahead again, playing the devil's advocate side of things, you know, made big acquisitions today, you know, performer basis, you know, going to 36 million, you know, mm-hmm. what would you say then are the company's downside risks when you think about all the, you know, where you want to be at some point? Mm-hmm. That's a tough question. That's a tough question. You know, I, I, I think that, the market environment is going to play that out for us. I think, you know, I, I'm just going to be fair enough to say that I, I, I would tell you if I go back to 2008, right. And we just did, nobody knew what the world was going to be. And we grew our business like crazy. We didn't think we were going to, we literally were looking at each other like everybody else was. You remember these times, right. Talking to Shelly and other people in the industry. And you're just like, Oh boy, this is going to be a ride. And, and you take it very personal. And we were very fortunate. We grew as a result of it. Right. And, and I, I think we're insulated from that. If this happens again, like everybody thinks it's going to happen, you know, next year. And and so, you know, I, I think that, you know, not not to shortchange the, the, the answer to the question, I think I'm just going to keep my head down and do my thing, right? And, and protect everything that I've got and be sure for our team, our company, and our shareholders that we're agile enough to move around regardless of what happens, right? And see what happens. For sure. I mean, are you, I mean, are you, is there, is one of the potential risks is like, you know, the PRIR professionals tightening up the purse strings or do you, is that how, where you feel the moat is, is that, you know, even in a down market like these, especially on the public company side, they need the, they, they still need to put out their, their news. They still need to do their, is that, is that the thought process? I mean, it is. Yeah. That's always been our thought process, right? You can't stop storytelling. You just can't. Right. I mean, if anything, one would argue to do it more, when when markets are uncertain or or there is you know kind of turbulence in something so look at what happened in COVID, right people continue to do more and more because of that reason so i, I look i think in some ways to use your word and, and maybe you know it doesn't apply perfectly to us but it does insulate us a little bit i think the second part is let's still be frank today because we're the little newswire we still have some elasticity in price right so a prn and bw are still at you know thousands of dollars for a press release we can still be well sub that and, and, and provide greater value. So, so what I would argue then and say is, if I'm a customer and I'm a PR exec or an IR exec and I'm using business wire and my boss is yelling at me to cut costs because the world's coming to an end, you know, you, you can only go back to the well, meaning business wire to ask for a discount so many times. And they typically raise their rates every year regardless of what the markets are doing. Yep. So that's where we're gonna benefit, right? And, and so I think to, to your point, we're insulated in that regard, right? Do, do we see some, some turbulent changes in other parts of our business? Sure. Right. And what I mean by that more specifically is that we all know this. Everybody listening is going to identify this because a lot of us did it when we were all at home. 
bought more stock, right? We invested in the markets and, and then you had all these meme stocks and you had all these SPACs. So what happened with the number of shareholders in every company is they increased 20 to 50%. So what did that do? That drove compliance work. That's why we always say to people, hey, our compliance business is going to decrease. And what does it do? Every quarter it increases. And everyone's like, wait, you said it was going to go up. And I'm like, the number of customers really aren't changing. It's that the transaction sizes are growing because the number of shareholders. So in down markets, what happens? The number of shareholders decreases, right? So that business will retract and we'll see that happen. So that's going to be an issue for us. But candidly, we expect that. We've messaged that. Everybody knows it. And as long as we get the benefits of what we talked about there a second ago in the communication side, we're going to be fine. All right. So now, you know, from what you can tell us, what, in your opinion, where do you see the company or where do you want to see the company in three to five years? And what would you say are some inflection points that will get you there? Yeah, look, I, I, I'm, I'm realistic in the fact that the business is still going to continue to be a market leader and disruptor in everything that it's doing today but is going to have to fend off a lot of a new entrance into the market. We, we are looked at favorably a lot of times and people try to do the same things that we do, which is great, it's flattering. So we're gonna have to continue to scale our innovation. And, and you know this, right? You've used our product platforms for years. They're good, they're, they're you know, stable, you have a good support system and people in place and, and good product pricing, but we need to innovate the heck out of these things. Right. And, and that's something we're going to have to invest in. And I think, look, any investor that will look at our, our, our P&L statement and when they analyze R&D as a percentage of revenue, you know, we're a fraction of what um, our competition is. We're a fraction of what our industry is. And so we've got to spend more money there and balance out our SG&A a little bit to ensure that we're doing this innovation at the right intervals and at the right time to stay ahead of what's out there. So I think that's going to be critical for us to do. The good news about Newswire is they come along with 10 really good developers. We add them to our team, and now we've got a good systematic approach in, 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 in flight here right now to get us to where we want to go technology-wise. Um, but I think the last one is brand. We've got to fix our brand, right? You know this. People call us ISDR, right, because we're in the markets, right? We're issuer direct, but we're a communications company led by AccessWire and now Newswire. And when you think about the brands of Newswire, they have pressrelease.com, newswire.com, mediadatabase.com. I mean, there's wonderful asset libraries there that drive thousands of customers every year to their platform to purchase something, and they're going to buy it from Issuer Direct. That's confusing, right? And so we have talked about this publicly for a while. We've got to fix that. The first step in the deal yesterday that we announced is getting the, the news brand business down from all the brands that we've got to Access Newswire. And eventually what's going to happen is that is going to be the driving force of what the business is, all focused around what Access is. And at the end of the day, it's obvious, right? It was kind of staring us in the face all along. And I remember talking to you about it, right? Because I trust your opinions. And we talked about names and ideas about what this would be. And, you know, when I thought about it, I'm like, wait, this is the name, right? We, we, we've been providing access to our customers to everything that they want, whether it's customers that they want to achieve, it's investors or shareholders, it's the markets, we're providing the access platform to get them there. So um, we've got a very clear directive internally, strategically to, to get that fixed. Um, quickly. But as everybody knows, there's regulatory things to do in order to do that. So it's going to take us some time. Absolutely. All right. So my final question for you here today, you know, um, listen, you've been running this business now, like we said, since 2003, 2004, it's almost 20 years, you know, yeah. um, public company CEO for most of that, you know, how, mm -hmm. how you, how you doing? Uh, <laughs> what's good? Are you still enjoying that side of it? I mean, it, it's it's no easy task, you know. I mean, there's still a lot more. It sounds like to go. 
Yes. Talk to me. How you doing, man? You know, look, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I say this to everybody. If I'm not having fun, I'm not doing this, right? I, I, truthfully, today I'm a little tired. You know what I mean? Like we spent three solid hard months in due diligence and tried to run the business at the same time and work day and night. And you know things like this. When you get down to the wire, you're working at one o'clock in the morning negotiating. You're, you're up at 6 a.m. trying to brief everybody and update docs and, you know, get to closing on the same day an announcement that you have earnings. And to go through that preparation and, and audit committee and board meeting. So you burn the candle, right? And so for right now, I'm tired, but I'm not tired for anything else other than just right now today, right? As far as a business is concerned, we're having a ball. Love the heck out of it. Going to keep on doing it. I'm 50. I'm going to be 51 here in a couple of weeks. And and I know that, that uh, you know, my kids will say that's old, <laughs> but, you know, I got I got another 10 plus years at this. And, until somebody kicks me out, I'm not I'm not going nowhere. Listen, Grandpa. You know, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, oh, that's good stuff. Yeah, sure. But uh, Brian, with that, you know, where can our audience go find more information on Issuer Direct? Yeah, it's it's easy. It's a couple domains, right? Issuerdirect.com. You can follow us on all social media handles at uh, at the same name at at sign in the company name on, on LinkedIn. Uh, Accesswire.com. Uh, not that I post a lot, but you can you can hit me on LinkedIn and, and Twitter as well. I am there most times. I'm not just reading, trying to catch up with the world. Uh, and love to talk to you guys. Absolutely. Well, Brian, th- thanks again for joining me today. Really do appreciate it. Good luck. Stay safe. I look forward to our next chat. Likewise, Bobby. Thanks, man. Thank you. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not provided as financial, legal, or any other advice. The information is not investment advice or an offer to buy or sell any securities or make any investment. The views expressed by guest speakers are their own and any reference to third-party products, services, or information does not constitute an endorsement thereof by SNN or its affiliates. SNN expressly disclaims all liability for any individual's use of the information presented in this podcast.